It's good to see everyone. How are you guys doing? I'm excited for tonight. Mr. Awesome Sound Guy, I plan to yell a little bit. Could you take my mic just a tad down? Perfect. I'm not going to yell. Maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see. I always wanted transformation in my life. How about you? I want to be transformed, Jesus. I want to be made into your image. I want to be transformed. And what we do is that we strive, we try, we enroll in programs, we sign up for studies, and we put effort. I don't know about you, but all the efforts that I put in to be transformed never resulted in transformation. But the Bible gives us a passage that tells us how to be transformed. It's Romans 12, 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the changing of your mind. If you want to be transformed, you simply need to have your mind changed. My single aim tonight for you is to change what you think about God. It's a tall order. You want to be transformed, you need to change your mind about God. Some of you, this is going to be new. Some of you, this is going to be feeling like home. Some of you, it'll give you explanation for why you are the way you are. Others will give you a pathway forward. But my aim is to transform you by transforming your mind. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why? You have millions of Christians who all have different expressions of their relationship with God. Same God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, same Bible, but we have this completely different expression of the faith. Now, if you were going to church for the first time and maybe one Sunday you went to a Presbyterian church, and then another Sunday you went to a Pentecostal church, you would think you had two different religious experiences. You're going to think that there is two different religions that you just experienced. And even though we have the same Bible, right? We have the same scriptures. We believe mostly the same things. How do we have such huge variety in the Christian faith? How do we explain that? Let me give you a few examples. To some, God is the almighty king. And I'm just a lowly grass, bend by the wind. I'm nothing. And the, the awe and reverence of God just rains down, and the focus is on the majesty and the sovereignty of God. To others, God is the judge keeping score, tallying up sins, holding you accountable for what's right and wrong. And the focus is on confession of sins and repentance. To others, God's like a boss who regularly is doing performance reviews. He's looking to see if you've had good behavior or bad behavior. You're trying to unlock promotions. You're trying to unlock favor. You're trying to figure out, why did this person dump me? Did I do something wrong? I'll try and do it better next time. The things that I'm doing are orchestrating the details of my life. 
For others, God is a 911 operator. Only there when the stuff hits the fan. I'm in crisis, God, I need you. Please get here, I promise I'll stay close until the next crisis or not. To others, God is like that awkward relative. You try to kind of avoid most of the year, but there's like holidays, Christmas and Easter, you keep running into him. It's like, I just, ah, I know you're there. How do we explain all this diversity? I don't know where you fall in that line. I don't think those sounded familiar. Maybe you have your own persona of God that manifests itself in a specific way, but these are the ones I see, and it explains so much diversity. We have of worship styles. It explains our theology differences, but it almost looks like different religions sometimes. But how do we explain this? Why does this happen? It's very, very simple. It's who you believe to be God determines how you relate to him. Who you believe God to be determines how you relate to him. It's not that we have customized preferences. We actually have different ideas of who God is. Every manifestation of your faith will originate from the place of who you believe God to be. Every detail, every expression of your faith actually reveals what you believe about God. And the identity that you give God in your life will determine whether you are gripping the pew, hoping you don't get struck by lightning, or in the back, waving a flag, dancing in worship. Both of those outcomes have nothing to do about theology, about Jesus, about Bible. It has everything to do about what you believe who God is. How did Jesus recognize the Father? What identity did the Father have in the eyes of Jesus? Was it Lord? Was it Master? Was it Almighty King? Was it Judge? Was it Boss? Mark chapter 14 tells us, says Jesus says, and he was saying, Abba, Abba, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. Abba, or daddy, is what it means. It's an Aramaic term. It, it's the, the name for a son who calls his father daddy. We could just translate this to say, and he was saying, daddy, all things are possible for you. These are the words of Jesus. Do you realize how intimate of a word that is from our King? And this is how Jesus interacted with the Father. And it's the same way that we are to interact with the Father. It's actually built into you. It's not that Jesus and, God, and the Father are like really close, because we know they're close. It's not like they have a customized language for each other. This term this idea, this context of relationship, it's wired in you, it's built into you, it's made for you to relate to the Father the exact same way. Let me show you. In Galatians 4, it says this, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. That's all of you. 
crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It says that the spirit that God gave you, the factory default settings, the spirit that God gave you was wired to communicate with the Father in the form of Daddy. It's not anything you have to try to strive. It's actually already in you. That's what it's purposed for. So what does that mean if the spirit is in you that cries out, Abba, Father, what does that mean? It means this is that you are designed to relate to God as Daddy. Now, I'm a dad right now. And so, like, the word daddy, I know you guys are like, daddy, this feels like weird. Like, come on. And I was that same way before I became a father myself. And now it's my favorite word in all of the world. And so that might be like a weird thing, like daddy. Like, I don't use that word ever, at least for like 20 years I haven't. But you are designed to relate to God, not as king, not as Lord, not as master, not as sovereign God, but as daddy. Daddy is the identity in which we are designed to relate to God. It is the name in which we are to call. And did you catch why we are to call out daddy? It's because he made us sons. He doesn't give us a preference of like, when you're going to call upon me, use daddy. No, he's like, I've made you sons, and so therefore, relate to me as a son, as a father and son, because you are. Now, if you were just a slave, you would call him master, but guess what? You're not a slave. If you were just a servant, you would call him Lord, but guess what? You're not a servant. If you were just a peasant, you would call him king. But guess what? You are not a peasant. You are a son. And because you are a son, it demands that we relate to God from the position of son. Faith is hard because we overthink it. We want to do the right thing and be in the right place and say the right stuff. And he's saying, I just want you to be who you already are. And so when we relate to God, not as he is our king, though he is, when he wants us to relate to him, he wants us to relate to him as son. And he's telling us to stop relating to God in any other context. When you relate to God outside of being a son, you miss God's designed relationship for you. When you relate to God in any other form besides daddy, you are now outside of design what he designed for you. It's not I'm saying like it's impossible for you to relate to God in any other, but when you do, you are acting out of what he placed in you to communicate him, to communicate with him in a very specific way. Do you see how unique of privilege that is? Anyone can have reverence for a king. No one should be like, oh, he's king, we should have reverence. Well, duh. <laughs> it's like, if you admit anybody of royalty, you're gonna have a natural awe. Reverence for a king is not impressive. We shouldn't make a big deal like we can call him king because you know what? He says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. No matter what, all the creation will recognize him as king. There's nothing special about that. But you know what is special? Is not every tongue will confess him as daddy. 
Whether you confess him as king now doesn't matter. One day you will. But not everyone will call him daddy. That's the privilege. That is what true sonship is. Because God is Lord over all, but only daddy to some. Who you are to God changes how he wants you to relate to him. Who you are to God, you are a son. That changes how he wants you to relate to him. He made you a son in order that you would relate to him as daddy. He transformed you so that you would have a different relationship and different context with him. Not so you just would get some fire insurance while you're on earth. The second thing is this, is that daddy, I always feel silly when I say that over a microphone, <laughs> but daddy is the identity that God values above all others. You might be, feel, be feeling really weird about like, I have never called God daddy ever before. This is really odd. But maybe you would if you knew that was his preferred way to hear from you. God does not want you to confuse his identity as daddy with the other roles and responsibilities that he has. Sonship with God precedes all other roles. God is your daddy before he's your king and before anything else. And the Father has placed the Holy Spirit in you to cry Abba, to cry Daddy for the exact reason that you would relate to him in that way. Now, I have two young kids. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. <clears throat> and yes, in addition to being their father, I am like provider, bill payer, protector, bum wiper, breakfast maker, blankie fluffer, bedtime routine story creator, Kaka cleaner, car seat buckler, piggyback rider, toy fixer, water slide advisor, spit up wiper, diving board tutor, toothbrusher, and a whole bunch of other things. Those are things I do, but they don't embody my identity as daddy. I might do those things. Those are like things I am. I pay the bills. I provide. I protect. I do all those things. I provide shelter. Yes, but that doesn't matter to me as I relate to my kids. That as long as they know that I'm daddy, that's all I want. How heartbroken would I be if I insist that my children know that I pay the bills but never know that I'm daddy to them? So many of us are trying to have enough reverence for what God has done for us that we completely miss the aspect that he's done it all to have relationship with us. Now, just the other week, Scarlett said to me, this is my four-year-old girl, I know your real name. <laughs> what? Your name is Eric. Now, she could have dropped the F-bomb and I would have been less disturbed. I probably would have preferred it, actually. It's like, I tried to deny it. I was like, no, my name is not that. Like, my name is Daddy. Is like, I, I just try to act dumb. There's something violating to me about my four-year-old girl calling me Eric. <clears throat> How weird would it be if, like, you had this newborn that came out and says, thank you, Father. 
Or maybe it like looks up to you and says, thank you, Matthew. You know, like you just would feel weird. It is out of place because it's now out of context. The thing that we've lost is that we are sons and daughters of God and we call him by all these other names except the one that identifies who we are and who he is. We've gotten so wrapped up in doing religion right that we have lost the reason that we have relationship with him. And our language convicts us that we have no idea about it either. Now, as a father, this is interesting too. Oakson will validate this. Is when you have a newborn baby and you're trying to get them to talk, you spend years saying da-da, daddy. And like the first time your child says daddy, it's euphoric. You're like, I've peaked. I don't know where else I can go from here. Just a four-year-old little girl, okay, just last week, for the very first time, said, I love you unprovoked. I about swerved off the road. I couldn't believe it. And all this work has gone into, would you know me who I am? Would you really relate to me as I want to be related to? And I believe that God the Father is like looking at us like, all my children call me different names. And the only thing I want to be known by them and for them is that I'm daddy. There's something about a father's DNA that it's a privilege to have that title. That is the best name I have. I don't care what you call me. It doesn't get any higher than that. That name, that position, that identity is supreme about over anything my children can ever call me. And you know what? I don't want them to even call me anything else. I won't even accept dad. It doesn't even count. I'm like, no, it's not even that. Don't call me father. Don't call me dad. Don't call me, like, sir. Like, it's, it's daddy. And when you are a dad and you have a daddy's heart, you actually refuse to be called by any other name. It's a really interesting dynamic when you become a father. I've learned more theology just becoming a father. I never knew these things even existed how this would happen. But it makes sense now because when I relate what I have believed about God to my own kids, I'm like, I got a lot of heresy in my belief system. There's no way that this would ever fly with my own kids, but I do it to God all the time. Changing your mind about who you are and who he is and how he wants to be related to you. Here's the thing. Any other identity you give God besides daddy produces religion. Any other identity you give God in your life, in your faith, any other one besides daddy will always produce religion. See, the daddy-God relationship liberates you to be a son. Any other identity will enslave you to law, obligation, performance, and guilt. Paul is talking to the Romans because they came to Christ, and so they were doing great, but oh no, they start messing it up. They start going back to their old ways, and he says this in Romans 8. He says, 
For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. What's the spirit of slavery? It's religion. Do you feel enslaved by your faith? Like you can't win, like nothing you can ever do is good enough, like you're on a, a treadmill, that you're trapped, that you're always failing? If you do, you don't have the daddy-God relationship that God designed for you to have. Do you feel burdened to earn your acceptance before God? Do you feel like guilt lingering over you? Do you feel like you are never quite good enough? Well, if you do, you've never experienced what it is to have a daddy-God relationship with your, with your heavenly father. Daddy is the only identity which God accepts you purely for being his son. It's the only identity God can have that says, I accept you for being you. Every identity we give God, every persona we give God, every role we give God, it always winds to performance, to religion, to obligation, to guilt, to failed, to comparison. It always funnels that way. Daddy is the only role that says, I accept you for the single reason that you are my son. I'm talking about my daughter a lot. Two days ago, no, yesterday, crisis at our house. Scarlett got a bad report at preschool. First time ever. They give this like muy bien bear. She goes to a Spanish immersion preschool. So she always comes home with like this bear with like purple wings. And it's called the muy bien bear for the child that has behaved the best that day. And she always comes home with it. I'm like feeling like kind of guilty. It's like, oh, she's so good. So yesterday, she was like, she was not muy bien. <laughs> this morning, I talked to her. She's like devastated. It's like, I love you. It's okay. I don't love you because you're trying to be good. She's like, Daddy, I want to always be good. I never want to be bad. It's like, awesome. Good. The bad report changes nothing what I feel for you. Nothing. That was the single thing. Is like, Scott, forget about what you did wrong. I love you. It doesn't matter. It does because that's not who you are. And that's what the thing is. Like, I told her, like, you are so good. You know it. Aren't you good? She's like, yeah. And you know daddy loves you. Yeah. So I move forward. She came with all shame and I was like, I love you. I accept you for who you are. I think it's the first time she's old enough to realize that I could have disappointment in her. Really delicate times. That here's the first time my four-year-old girl recognizes her sin, recognizes her failure, recognizes her shortcoming. And here is a test as an earthly father that says, this is going to be the blueprint for how she views her heavenly father. The first words out of my mouth are, I accept you, I love you for who you are. I refuse to have you believe that my love for you, my acceptance for you is based upon your behavior. I love you because of your identity. I have, you are my daughter. That is something that can never be taken away from you, ever. 
You can never lose your sonship in God. He is always, always accepting you out of the position that you are his son and daughter. It merits you just within your DNA of who you are that he accepts you. There's so many people that struggle in this area, this phase of their life, that are trying to find what's going wrong in the relationship with God. And it usually comes down to, I don't feel accepted by God. I don't feel like I really have done it right. I gave my life to Christ about 4,000 times because it never felt right. I always felt like I needed to do more. I needed to like really have a different experience. Like these other people are way holier than me. What's wrong with me? I'm going to get saved again, you know. If you don't feel accepted by God, it's because you have not yet come into agreement with your sonship. Every dysfunction in your faith right now, I don't care what it is, every dysfunction in your faith can be traced back to a lie that you believe about God. No other identity No other identity that you can give God ever accepts you without performance. If you want to produce religion in your life, just change your mindset about God from daddy to ruler to king to master to boss. And you'll never feel good enough in your faith. It's because you continue to insist on God being a boss instead of a daddy. Here's the thing is when you choose religion, when you choose to conform your faith to what I I do not do and what I do not eat and who I do not see, when, when you define your life by all the things you're not doing, you not only are missing out on the daddy God relationship, you are converting God into an absentee father. When you buy into the lie of religion that says my performance is what matters, you are transforming God in your life to an absentee father who's there only for the funerals and the holidays. Because it doesn't matter in between then. When you take the pill of religion, you sign yourself up to say that what I do matters more than who I am. And that card never loses once that lies in you. That's why I want you to be transformed tonight. If you can break the lie that what I do is more important than who I am, and I have a God that calls me son, and I call him daddy, you do that, you transform every area of your life. Religion and daddy God are incompatible thoughts. They are like, not compatible. Daddy God and religion are two incompatible thoughts. They have different objectives. You can't say, I want to have religion with little daddy God on top. It's not going to work. One wants to control you. One wants to liberate you. One says, look at what you did. One says, look at who you are. One says, shame on you. The other one says, shame off you. You'll never be able to reconcile religion with daddy God. They are diametrically opposed. 
The only identity God can have in your life where you walk in freedom and acceptance is when you relate to God as Abba, as Daddy. The fourth thing is this. The identity you give God determines your fruit. You dissatisfied with your walk? You wish you could like have a little home makeover, faith edition or something with it? If you are dissatisfied with your faith, you are dissatisfied with the output of your salvation, if you're dissatisfied with what your life is producing, just simply ask yourself, what do I believe about God? Describe him. What does he sound like? What's his demeanor? Is he in a good mood? Is he in a bad mood? Does he look like your boss? Does he look like your dad? Because sometimes those are the things that we do, right? Earth, like our heavenly father, and a lot of us think, earthly father. He's your father, and we start thinking of like, my father. Now that can be good, or that can be toxic. But the identity you believe God to have determines how you relate to him, right? The identity you believe God to have determines how you relate to him. Here's the second part is this. How you relate to him determines what your relationship produces. How you relate to God determines what your relationship produces. If you believe God's identity is almighty, reverend king, sovereign lord, I'm a blade of grass, your relationship will only ever be able to produce reverence. If you believe God is a judge and his scorekeeping your behaviors, your relationship will only ever produce compliance and fear of compliance. If you believe God's identity is to be a boss, your relationship will only ever produce performance. If you believe God's identity to be daddy, your relationship will produce intimacy. That says, I know who you are. I value you for who you are. More than what you can produce and put out. There's no performance. There's no obligation. What your life makes of itself is out of context from relationship. You know the scariest passage in all the Bible besides the one I shared last week? Jesus seen to the people. But Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick in your name. We did all these things. We gathered people. And he's like, I never knew you. Now, here's what we think in that. We're like, oh, crud. How do I know I'm saved? That's another one I'm like, I need to get saved again. And you're like, passages. Because then you're like, how do I know? But read the text carefully. It says, we did this, we did this, we did this. And Jesus is like, I never knew you. I don't care how much performance and how many acts you had if you weren't a son, if you never came into sonship. I thoroughly believe that that passage is people who are performing miracles because you don't have to be saved to do supernatural things. He's like, awesome. You're taking control over spirits and doing things? Awesome. My name's got power regardless of whether you love me or believe me or if I live in you. But you're not a son. I never knew you. Your revelation with God, if you seek, I want to know the things of God. 
I want to know the mysteries of the faith. I want to know these different things. Your revelation will be limited to who you believe God to be. Your revelation from God isn't limited by him. It's actually limited by the identity that you give him that restricts him. Some people ask me, like, how do you come up with some of this stuff? I'm like, I just, I'm terrified every week about what I'm going to say. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea, Jesus. But I realized a long time ago, I was trying to find, trying to extract from words what they should mean and find something that maybe was funny in the process. It never worked. You can never try to be funny. It fails every time. But when I stopped searching the words and started seeking the author, it changed. It's like, Daddy, what do you want to say? What do you think? And when I stopped limiting God to being almighty king, Lord of all, master, sovereign God, and like we like, you know, do this like, you know, thing like this. Now I get it, like my kids, like I'm daddy, but you know, I've, they have authority understanding with me, okay? I'm not trying to be irreverent to who God is. I'm just trying to put it in priority and context. Are you with me? But when you say, I'm going to elevate king to the top rank, why would you ever expect a king to give you revelation of the kingdom? It's out of character for a king to give a peasant revelation of the kingdom. If you believe God is a dictator, the punisher, if you believe his consequences rain down like fury, why would God ever embrace you after failure? It's out of character for who you've believed God to be. God will behave exactly as you restrict him to behave in your life. Not because God's doing it that way, it's because you are calling forth that upon yourself. If you believe God is a judge, why would God forgive you without penalty? It would be out of character for a judge to forgive you without consequence. What am I saying? Is that God will be restricted to the identity you give him. If you're dissatisfied in your faith, ask yourself, who do I believe God to be? My daughter's birthday is coming up. I, like, I can tell my daughter's theology already developing. Because she asks without limit. She just, like, she just goes for it. Her birthday's in November. She's like, I want this and this and this and this and this. And she has this notion that I'm this daddy who wants to give her the world. And you know what? I'm not going to tell her otherwise. Because it's the truth. I always operate in my character because she believes I'm the daddy who always wants the best for her, always loves her, he always accepts her. So you might be wondering why you don't have the intimate relationship with God that others have. It's because you refuse to accept God as the identity when she speaks to sons. God, by any other identity, is an absentee father. But when you change your context of who God is, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, when you change the context of who God is, suddenly everything changes. 
Because who you believe God to be is actually the most influential force in all of your faith. People don't have a faith problem, they actually have a perception problem. You can't love God if he's unlovable. The God I hear people talk about, the God I see worshiped by other people, he's actually this unlovable creation that people have manufactured. And they try to love him. Like, it shouldn't be, like, I don't want my daughter to say, like, I tried really hard to love you today, Dad. It's like, that doesn't feel good. That had the exact opposite effect you're trying to go for. But I submit to you that the God that many Christians believe not only is unlovable, not only the authoritative uh, figure and dictator, but he actually has removed himself from any sense of who God truly is. People are trying to love God the Father, and actually they are loving the Godfather instead. A capricious, vengeful, and corrupt man. Who is God really? Yes, he is king. He is Lord. He is almighty. He is alpha. He is omega. He is Lord of all, above all. I get all that, but he is also Abba. He's also daddy. And do you want to know what daddy God wants to say to you right now? He's got a whole list of things. Once you change the paradigm of God is not just king and author almighty, he's daddy. Do you know what he wants to say to you? This beautiful list of revelation that now that you have the mind transformed to hear him as daddy. Do you know what he wants to say? You have to come back next week. I love you guys. I was sitting listening to this sermon. I was thinking about how much healing God has done in my life towards the word Father. And it's so gradual. It comes off in layers. Like revelation comes, I'll get to a certain place, and I'm like, wow, I think I got it. And then the Holy Spirit will go, that's awesome. I'm so glad you got that part. Here, here's another layer. I actually had a freakout day uh, Tuesday. Really, 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 really bad day. And it was all centered around who I saw God to be. I mean, it was one of those days that wrecks you. And when I began to sort it through with Holy Spirit, he reminded me of a letter that a man that I had a great deal of respect uh, for had written me when I told him something really deep that I dealt with. And he wrote me a letter. Uh, it's the only time he ever wrote me a letter. It was single-spaced, I think about three pages, single-spaced, with all the verses in the Bible that uh, prophesied my future if I didn't stop that activity that I had revealed to him. So every time I'd get super free, that the scripture has prophetic power. I would get really free and I'd feel so uncomfortable in my freedom because it didn't match what that gentleman told me my life was going to be. That's why I pray 
to break the power of the Bible off your life when it's been used in witchcraft, which is to control and manipulate you. As Christian leaders, we don't mean to, but we do that to you sometimes. And so I wanna encourage you tonight, if you guys wanna stand and um, if our prayer team could come forward, we would love to pray for you. If there are things that you wanna be free from, things that have happened, things in your life you don't really even understand, we'd love to pray for you. If tonight, as Eric was speaking, some of the things everybody else was laughing about, you had nothing laughing inside of you because your heart is broken in places. God can heal that. And sometimes it happens like that. And I love it when it's like that. And sometimes it's just a layer at a time. And someone prays over us and we feel just that shift inside. So I want to encourage you tonight, whatever your experience is, you can trust God. He wants to be your dad more than you want to be his child. That's why Christ died. So, uh, Bridges, if you can play the music, and we will, um, even if the music doesn't come on, we're going to pray for you. So, um, if you could come forward. And, um, it'd be our privilege to pray for you. I want to pray over you. Thanks for coming tonight. We'll see you next Thursday. Uh, if you don't need prayer, but you need friends, we actually talk and laugh in the back, sometimes actually at the front. So whatever you need tonight, stay and get. God, thank you for each precious person here tonight. I pray, Lord, that what they need, they would have the courage to believe you for and to wait until it settles on their spirit. I just thank you, God, for what you're going to do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.